Chapter Four of Volume Three of the Mysterious Island. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Don Halpert. The Mysterious Island by Jules Verne. Translated by William Henry Giles Kingston. Volume Three, Chapter Four. "'She has blown up!' cried Herbert. "'Yes, blown up, just as if Ayrton had set fire to the powder,' returned Pencroft, throwing himself into the lift with Neb and the lad. "'But what has happened?' asked Gideon Spilett, quite stunned by this unexpected catastrophe. "'Oh, this time we shall know,' answered the engineer quickly. "'What shall we know? Later, later. Come, Spilett. The main point is that these pirates have been exterminated.' and Cyrus Harding, hurrying away with the reporter and Ayrton, joined Pencroft, Neb, and Herbert on the beach. Nothing could be seen of the brig, not even her masts. After having been raised by the water-spout, she had fallen on her side, and had sunk in that position, doubtless in consequence of some enormous leak. But as in that place the channel was not more than twenty feet in depth, it was certain that the sides of the submerged brig would reappear at low water. A few things from the wreck floated on the surface of the water. A raft could be seen consisting of spare spars, coops of poultry with their occupants still living, boxes and barrels which gradually came to the surface after having escaped through the hatchways. But no pieces of the wreck appeared, neither planks from the deck nor timber from the hull, which rendered the sudden disappearance of the speedy perfectly inexplicable. However, the two masts, which had been broken and escaped from the shrouds and stays, came up, with their sails, some furled and others spread. But it was not necessary to wait for the tide to bring up these riches, as Ayrton and Pencroft jumped into the boat with the intention of towing the pieces of wreck either to the beach or to the islet. But just as they were shoving off, an observation from Gideon Spilett arrested them. "'What about those six convicts who disembarked on the right bank of the Mercy?' said he. "'In fact, it would not do to forget that the six men, whose boat had gone to pieces on the rocks, had landed on Floatsom Point. They looked in that direction. None of the fugitives were visible. It was probable that, having seen their vessel engulfed in the channel, they had fled into the interior of the island. "'We will deal with them later,' said Harding. "'As they are armed, they will still be dangerous.' But as it is six against six, the chances are equal to the most pressing business first. Ayrton and Pencroft pulled vigorously towards the wreck. The sea was calm and the tide was very high, as there had been a new moon but two days before. A whole hour at least would elapse before the hull of the brig could emerge from the water of the channel. Ayrton and Pencroft were able to fasten the masts and spars by means of ropes, the ends of which were carried to the beach. There, by the united efforts of settlers, the pieces of the wreck were hauled up. Then the boat picked up all that was floating, coops, barrels, and boxes, which were immediately carried to the chimneys. Several bodies floated also. Among them, Ayrton recognized that of Bob Harvey, which he pointed out to his companion, saying with some emotion, That is what I have been, Pencroft. "'But what you are no longer, brave Ayrton,' returned the sailor warmly. 
it was singular enough that so few bodies floated only five or six were counted which were already being carried by the current towards the open sea very probably the convicts had not had time to escape and the ship lying on her side the greater number of them had remained below now the current by carrying the bodies of these miserable men out to sea would spare the colonists the sad task of burying them in some corner of their island for two hours cyrus harding and his companions were solely occupied in hauling up the spars on the sand and then in spreading the sails which were perfectly uninjured to dry they spoke little for they were absorbed in their work but what thoughts occupied their minds the possession of this brig or rather all that she contained was a perfect mine of wealth in fact a ship is like a little world in miniature and the stores of the colony would be increased by a large number of useful articles it would be on a large scale equivalent to the chest found at flotsam point and besides thought pencroft why should it be impossible to refloat the brig if she has only a leak that may be stopped up a vessel from three to four hundred tons why she is a regular ship compared to our bonaventure and we would go a long distance in her we would go anywhere we liked captain harding ayrton and i must examine her she would be well worth the trouble in fact if the brig were still fit to navigate the colonists chance of returning to their native land were singularly increased but to decide this important question it was necessary to wait until the tide was quite low so that every part of the brig's hull might be examined when their treasures had been safely conveyed on shore harding and his companions agreed to devote some minutes to breakfast they were almost famished fortunately the larder was not far off and neb was noted for being an expeditious cook they breakfasted therefore near the chimneys and during their repast as may be supposed nothing was talked of but the event which had so miraculously saved the colony miraculous is the word repeated pencroft for it must be acknowledged that those rascals blew up just at the right moment granite house was beginning to be uncomfortable as a habitation and can you guess pencroft asked the reporter how it happened or what can have occasioned this explosion oh mr spilett nothing is more simple answered pencroft a convict vessel is not disciplined like a man of war convicts are not sailors of course the powder magazine was open and as they were firing incessantly some careless or clumsy fellow just blew up the vessel captain harding said herbert what astonishes me is that the explosion has not produced more effect the report was not loud and and besides there are so few planks and timbers torn out it seems as if the ship had rather floundered than blown up does that astonish you my boy asked the engineer yes captain and it astonishes me also herbert replied he but when we visit the hull of the brig we shall no doubt find the explanation of the matter why captain said pencroft you don't suppose that the speedy simply floundered like a ship which has struck a rock why not observed neb if there are rocks in the channel nonsense neb answered pencroft you did not look at the right moment an instant before she sank the brig and i saw it perfectly well rose on an enormous wave and fell back on her larboard side 
Now, if she had only struck, she would have sunk quietly and gone to the bottom like an honest vessel. It was just because she was not an honest vessel, returned Neb. Well, we shall soon see, Pencroft, said the engineer. We shall soon see, rejoined the sailor, but I would wager my head there are no rocks in the channel. Look here, Captain, to speak candidly, do you mean to say that there is anything marvellous in this occurrence? Cyrus Harding did not answer. At any rate, said Gideon Spilett, whether rock or explosion, you will agree, Pencroft, that it occurred just in the nick of time. Yes, yes, replied the sailor. But that is not the question. I ask Captain Harding if he sees anything supernatural in all this. I cannot say, Pencroft, said the engineer. That is all the answer I can make. A reply which did not satisfy Pencroft at all. He stuck to an explosion and did not wish to give it up. He would never consent to admit that in the channel, with its fine sandy bed, just like the beach, which he had often crossed at low water, there could be an unknown rock. And besides, at the time the brig foundered, it was high water, that is to say, there was enough water to carry the vessel clear over any rocks which would not be uncovered at low tide. Therefore, there could not have been a collision. Therefore, the vessel had not struck. She had blown up. And it must be confessed that the sailors' arguments were reasonable. Towards half-past one, the colonists embarked in the boat to visit the wreck. It was to be regretted that the brig's two boats had not been saved, but one, as has been said, had gone to pieces at the mouth of the Mercy, and was absolutely useless. The other had disappeared when the brig went down, and had not again been seen, having doubtless been crushed. The hull of the Speedy was just beginning to issue from the water. The brig was lying right over her side, for her masts being broken, pressed down by the weight of the ballast, displaced by the shock, the keel was visible along her whole length. She had been regularly turned over by the inexplicable but frightful submarine action, which had been at the same time manifested by an enormous water spout. The settlers rowed round the hull, and in proportion as the tide went down, they could ascertain, if not the cause, which had occasioned the catastrophe, at least the effect produced. Towards the bows, on both sides of the keel, seven or eight feet from the beginning of the stem, the sides of the brig were frightfully torn. Over the length of at least twenty feet there opened two large leaks, which would be impossible to stop up. Not only had the copper sheathing and the planks disappeared, reduced, no doubt, to powder, but also the ribs, the iron bolts, and the tree nails which united them. From the entire length of the hull to the stern the false keel had been separated with an unaccountable violence, and the keel itself, torn from the carline in several places, was split in all its length. "'I've a notion,' exclaimed Pencroft, "'that this vessel will be difficult to get afloat again.' "'It will be impossible,' said Ayrton. "'At any rate,' observed Gideon Spilett to the sailor, "'the explosion, if there has been one, has produced singular effects. "'It has split the lower part of the hull "'instead of blowing up the deck and the top sides. "'These great rents appear rather to have been made by a rock "'than by an explosion of a powder magazine.' "'There is not a rock in the channel,' answered the sailor. 
I will admit anything you like except the rock. Let us try to penetrate into the interior of the brig, said the engineer. Perhaps we shall then know what to think of the cause of her destruction. This was the best thing to be done, and it was agreed besides to take an inventory of all the treasures on board and to arrange their preservation. Access to the interior of the brig was now easy. The tide was still going down, and the deck was practicable. The ballast, composed of heavy masses of iron, had been broken through in several places. The noise of the sea could be heard as it rushed out the holes of the hull. Cyrus Harding and his companions, hatchets in hand, advanced along the shattered deck. Cases of all sorts encumbered it, and as they had been but a very short time in the water, their contents were perhaps uninjured. Then they busied themselves in placing all this cargo in safety. The water would not return for several hours, and these hours must be employed in the most profitable way. Ayrton and Pencroft had, at the entrance made in the hull, discovered tackle, which would serve to hoist up the barrels and chests. The boat received them and transported them to the shore. They took the articles as they came, and intending to sort them afterwards. At any rate, the sailors saw at once, with extreme satisfaction, that the brig possessed a very varied cargo, an assortment of all sorts of articles, utensils, manufactured goods, and tools, such as the ships which make the great coasting trade of Polynesia are usually laden with. It was probable that they would find a little of everything, and they agreed that it was exactly what was necessary for the colony of Lincoln Island. However, as Cyrus Harding observed in silent astonishment, not only, as has been said, had the hull of the brig enormously suffered from the shock, whatever it was, that had occasioned the catastrophe, but the interior arrangements had been destroyed, especially towards the bows. Partitions and stanchions were smashed, as if some tremendous shell had burst in the interior of the brig. The colonists could easily go fore and aft, after having removed the cases as they were extricated. They were not heavy bales which would have been difficult to remove, but simple packages of which the stowage besides was no longer recognizable. The colonists then reached the stern of the brig, the part formerly surmounted by the poop. It was there that, following Ayrton's directions, they must look for the powder magazine. Cyrus Harding thought that it had not exploded, that it was possible some barrels might be saved and that the powder, which is usually enclosed in metal coverings, might not have suffered from contact with the water. This, in fact, was just what had happened. They extricated from among a large number of shot twenty barrels, the insides of which were lined with copper. Pencroft was convinced by the evidence of his own eyes that the destruction of the Speedy could not be attributed to a, an explosion. That part of the hull in which the magazine was situated was, moreover, that which had suffered least. It may be so, said the obstinate sailor, but as to a rock, there is not one in the channel. Then how did it happen? asked Herbert. I don't know, answered Pencroft. Captain Harding doesn't know, and nobody knows or ever will. Several hours had passed during these researches, and the tide began to flow. Work must be suspended for the present. There was no fear of the brig being carried away by the sea, for she was already fixed as firmly as if moored by her anchors. They could, therefore, without inconvenience, wait until the next day to resume operations. 
but as to the vessel itself she was doomed and it would be best to hasten to save the remains of her hull as she would not be long in disappearing in the quicksands of the channel it was now five o'clock in the evening it had been a hard day's work for the men they ate with good appetite and notwithstanding their fatigue they could not resist after dinner the desire of inspecting the cases which composed the cargo of the speedy most of them contained clothes which as may be believed was well received there were enough to clothe the entire colony linen for every one's use shoes for every one's feet we are too rich exclaimed pencroft but what are we going to do with all this at every moment burst forth the hurrahs of the delighted sailors when they caught sight of the barrels of gunpowder firearms and sidearms balls of cotton implements of husbandry carpenters joiners and blacksmiths tools boxes of all kinds of seeds not in the least injured by their short sojourn in the water ah two years before how these things would have been prized and now even though the industrious colonists had provided themselves with tools these treasures would find their use there was no want of space in the stores of granite house but that daytime would not allow them to stow away the whole it would not do also to forget that the six survivors of the speedy's crew had landed on the island for they were in all probability scoundrels of the deepest dye and it was necessary that the colonists should be on their guard against them although the bridges over the mercy were raised the convicts would not be stopped by a river or a stream and rendered desperately these wretches would be capable of anything they would see later what plan it would be best to follow but in the meantime it was necessary to mount guard over cases and packages heaped up near the chimneys and thus the settlers employed themselves in turn during the night the morning came however without the convicts having attempted any attack master jup and top on guard at the foot of granite house would have quickly given the alarm the three following days the nineteenth twentieth and twenty-first of october were employed in saving everything of value or of any use whatever either from the cargo or the rigging of the brig at low tide they overhauled the hold at high tide they stowed away the rescued articles a great part of the copper sheathing had been torn from the hull which every day sank lower but before the sand had swallowed the heavy things which had fallen through the bottom ayrton and pencroft diving in the bed of the channel recovered the chains and anchors of the brig the iron of her ballast and even four guns which floated by means of empty casks were brought to shore it may be seen that the arsenal of the colony had gained by the wreck as well as the storerooms of granite house pencroft always enthusiastic in his projects already spoke of constructing a battery to command the channel and the mouth of the river with four guns he engaged to prevent any fleet however powerful it might be from venturing into the waters of lincoln island in the meantime when nothing remained of the brig but a useless hulk bad weather came on which soon finished her cyrus harding had intended to blow her up so as to collect the remains on the shore but a strong gale from the northeast at a heavy sea compelled him to economize his powder in fact on the night of the twenty-third the hull entirely broke up and some of the wreck was cast upon the beach as to the papers on board it was useless to say that although he carefully searched the lockers of the poop 
Harding did not discover any trace of them. The pirates had evidently destroyed everything that concerned either the captain or the owners of the Speedy, and, as the name of her port was not painted on her counter, there was nothing which would tell them her nationality. However, by the shape of her boats, Ayrton and Pencroft believed that the brig was of English build. A week after the catastrophe, or rather after the fortunate though inexplicable event to which the colony owed its preservation, nothing more could be seen of the vessel, even at low tide. The wreck had disappeared, and Granite House was enriched by nearly all it had contained. However, the mystery which enveloped its strange destruction would doubtless never have been cleared away if, on the 30th of November, Neb, strolling on the beach, had not found a piece of thick iron cylinder bearing traces of explosion. The edges of this cylinder were twisted and broken, as if they had been subjected to the action of some explosive substance. Neb brought this piece of metal to his master, who was then occupied with his companions in the workshop of the chimneys. Cyrus Harding examined the cylinder attentively, then, turning to Pencroft, "'You persist, my friend,' said he, "'in maintaining that the Speedy was not lost in consequence of a collision.' "'Yes, Captain,' answered the sailor. "'You know as well as I do that there are no rocks in the channel.' "'But suppose she had run against this piece of iron,' said the engineer, showing the broken cylinder. "'What, that piece of pipe?' exclaimed Pencroft, in a tone of perfect incredulity.' my friends resumed harding you remember that before she foundered the brig rose on the summit of a regular water spout yes captain replied herbert well would you like to know what occasioned that water spout it was this said the engineer holding up the broken tube that yes this cylinder is all that remains of a torpedo a torpedo exclaimed the engineer's companions and who put the torpedo there demanded pencroft who did not like to yield all that i can tell you is that it was not i answered cyrus harding but it was there and you have been able to judge of its incomparable power end of volume three chapter four